But I think the biggest thing has been how, yeah, my background as an influencer hasn't been seen as an asset and has somehow, you know, like not made me as legitimate as, you know, other founders with other backgrounds. But yeah, I think it's just when you hear those numbers, it's it's such an obvious inequality that it's just like you can't even believe how like 2% of all funding and then like 95% of startups fail. So, you know, are those numbers correlated? I think so. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast, powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Okay, we're back for another episode of Wave Social Podcast, and today we have Sophie Gray. Sophie is the founder of Dive Through, a mental wellness company that helps you dive through what you go through. The app is in partnership with mental health professionals to create resources that help you take charge of your mental well-being. Sophie also shares her work to an audience of over 400,000 people through her personal social channels, and her work has been featured in Cosmopolitan, People, Women's Health, Refinery29, Marie Claire, and many more. Yeah, we talked about a lot of good stuff on this episode, including the pivotal moments where she realized she couldn't keep going the way she was and how she recognized burnout, what she did to make a difference and change her overall health and well-being, why she started an app and how she never really wanted to be a tech founder, how to raise capital in a male-dominated industry. She gives some really, really, really good points here and how Dive Through differs from other self-help apps on the market. Yeah, it was a good one. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to get started right away. But before that, I just got to mention quickly that merch is going fast. <laughs> Always glad to see it. So we've got a variety of products available this season. And for those that don't know, we chose to do merch instead of having sponsored ad reads on our show. Call it an experiment. But we would love to hear from you and understand what products you like, maybe which ones we should replace or re-up for next year. But specifically, our water bottles, our Heatwaves water bottles, and our candle for this season are running low. So if you wanted one, Get on there and grab one mm-hmm. and post it on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, the water bottle is a personal favorite of mine, but we definitely want to just know what people like and if we should even do merch next season. Yeah. I kind of feel like be reinventing. we need to just do one product. Oh, <laughs> the debate will continue offline. Okay. And lastly, we always like to read a review. So this time we got one from Chrissy Latch 87 She says, very knowledgeable to those not so familiar. I truly enjoyed listening to your podcasts. The hosts are like friends that you can talk to about social and tech savvy stuff. I love how you guys make it easy to understand and relate. Very helpful tools and facts that we can use every day. I will keep listening to more and gain some valuable insight along the way that I can share to others in a social media platform kind of way. Thanks for a great podcast. Yay. Thank you for sharing a review. We always try to make every episode practical. That's my vibe. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, should we welcome Sophie? Let's do it. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. But why don't we start by just going all the way back to the beginning. Tell us a little bit how you became the founder of Dive Through for those listeners of ours who might not be familiar. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I like to give a little bit of background, you know, for my first business. So I started posting online back in 2013 on Instagram when the idea of an Instagram influencer wasn't at all a thing. 
And I blew up. I grew to over 500,000 people. And through that, I started to sell workout programs. And back then, it wasn't as common as it is today. And in about a three-year span, I sold over 250,000 programs, all focused on physical health. But the reality was, is my mental health was struggling. And I had been traveling for work. And I had a panic attack on an airplane. So I was coming home connecting flights. So we ended up having to drive the rest of the way. And I really realized that I could no longer pretend I was fine when I wasn't. So I stepped back, started working on my mental health. And that's really where the the idea for Dive Through came from. A number of years after, you know, doing the work personally, but saw this very deep need for a mental wellness resource that really helps people better understand what's going on in their mind and then address it via tools and interactive exercises that they can do. Mm-hmm. Amazing. You've been pretty open about that panic attack on the plane and how it led to all these following circumstances. But can you recall specifically anything about that day that might have put you over the edge or caused that pivotal moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I had been traveling a lot in that period of time. I'd been gone, like traveling in a 40 day span, like 30 of them. And it was like, I think across like six or seven different trips. And I wasn't someone or I'm not someone that really loves traveling. I know, I think that's what every young person is told there, you know, to aspire to do, but it just, you know, I like being home. I like being in my rhythm in my own bed, but I was like, okay, no, I have all this work to do. So I was traveling really frequently and I never had a problem with flying before. I've flown my entire life. My family's from Scotland, so it's not a fear of flying by any means. But this trip in particular, the ones leading up to it, I had had like moments of panic and I had this anxiety that I wasn't used to, but I just kept on shoving it down. I was pretending it wasn't there. So when this flight in particular came around, I remember being so anxious, so worried. I was like, oh, like I've had this continued anxiety. I don't know where it's coming from. And that morning I was, I started the book called The Power of Now, I believe it by Eckhart Tolle, which is like a very spiritual hippie book, which was something I used to be very into. And it talked about how you are not your mind and you can step outside of your mind and all of this wisdom at the time that I had never heard of. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I'm on top of this. I'm in control. This is awesome. And I feel like my mind at the time was like, hmm, okay, let's show you how not true that is. And it was almost like this, haha, like you think that you're okay, but you're not. And let me prove that to you. So I really attribute that book in particular to the panic attack. But ultimately it was really just a, you know, this constant ignoring of myself and how I felt. And I was given multiple opportunities to acknowledge those feelings and I chose not to. So, you know, my mind, my body just finally needed to get my attention. And uh, that's what led to, you know, the big blow up that I had. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for being so transparent about that. What kind of things were going through your mind, you know, after you had the panic attack on the plane? And I believe you went on like a 38 hour drive to get home. What was going through your mind at that time? Was it the idea of drive through the app or how did that happen? Yeah. So when we had arrived in Toronto and I, he was my boyfriend then, he's my husband now, I turned to him and I was like, listen, I can't get on this plane. We need to drive. So during the drive itself, it was very much hey, I won, I did it, I beat it for like the first four hours. And then I ended up having panic attacks the entire rest of the drive. So rather than four hours with my thoughts, you know, I chose 38. 
middle of Wisconsin, a whole lot of open space. And I really had kind of this moment that I think people have, like you see in the movies where it's like your entire life like flashes before your eyes. But for me, it was all of the moments that I had ignored myself. I had turned away from myself. I had not put my mind or my body first. And it was like, okay, like this is a theme of my life. So that's really where the decision when I arrived home was, okay, I can't keep on going. I'm at burnout. I need to step back, but I need to most importantly put myself first. So I really, you know, I stepped back. I made that hard decision, which wasn't necessarily a decision at the time. I I don't feel like I had a choice. And I really started to want to learn about mental health. I was like, okay, I've struggled with mental health my whole life, but I've always just pretended it wasn't there or I've had these coping mechanisms that haven't been the healthiest. So I want to start to understand what's going on in my mind, what's going on, you know, when I'm having a panic attack, what's happening in my body. Why is my heart racing? Why is my breathing quickening? And it really started more from this curiosity because there was a lack of information and really where dive through came from that though was that there was a lot of self-help at the time that was positioning itself as mental health support, but it was really more so toxic positivity telling me to manifest my best life. But then the flip side, the mental health education at the time was very academic, using words that I couldn't pronounce, let alone understand what they meant. So I really like dive through really came from really a frustration and, hey, I want to understand what's going on my in my mind, but there isn't this accessible or relatable qualified tool that helps me do that. So that's really, of course, I dealt with my own mental health first for, you know, a couple of years before dive through really took, you know, the form that it has today. You know, I did what I set out to do of set myself first, but then really saw through that, that there was this greater need for, for what we're building today. What a journey. I'm curious. <laughs> I think like a lot of people listening to this and the people that engage with us on social Many of them are entrepreneurs or marketers. Many of them are young, like our age or your age. And I feel like a lot of them would be resonating with some of these moments in time that you're describing, whether it was before you had that pivotal moment on the plane or even in your thought processes after. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering if you can even like further articulate what some of those moments were that you felt when you were reflecting that you felt were those moments that you kind of denied yourself or didn't listen to what was kind of going on in your subconscious about who you really were or what you actually wanted to do versus what you what you were inflicting upon yourself yeah. or kind of... Like the warning signs. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one that comes to mind that was so clear and like just in my face and it's just bizarre now looking back that I didn't listen to it. But as I had mentioned, I was traveling a lot and... I had increasing anxiety, which really at that time felt like it came out of nowhere. And I remember before one of the trips, before the New York trip that I had the panic attack on, I was really afraid because I was traveling by myself. My husband wasn't able to come with me. And I had a moment the night before where I was like staring in the mirror and I was just like crying because I was so anxious. And I was just like, you need to get your shit together. And like, we're doing this. Whereas that opportunity was given to me to be like, what's going on? Like, why am I feeling this way? To question how I was feeling rather than to just try to ignore it. And I think that's like the biggest takeaway when I reflect back is we often think that we are, you know, our mind is overthinking. We know we're anxious and we can label it. But when have we actually 
paused and inquired about that feeling because anxiety isn't random. There is, you know, a valid reason you might be feeling that way, even if that reason, you know, doesn't really make sense. You know, a lot of the time, anxiety comes from a desire to protect ourselves. But if we're protecting ourselves from being in the shop, a shopping mall or grocery store, that's another story. But a lot of the time, and I think, you know, when I look at my professional journey in particular, was I was working every minute of the day. I was, I had no values or priorities outside of my work. And if I had paused to say, you know, what's going on? What is like what's happening right now? I think I would have heard and led to, you know, the eventual truth that I wasn't in the best place mentally. I wasn't doing what was fulfilling me. I wasn't feeling great about what I was creating. We were all given those opportunities in so many ways, but we just choose to ignore them or label them as, you know, not important, but they absolutely are. Yeah. And I think that's so relatable right now. Actually, a big theme or a big talking point of this season of the show has been about boundaries. And I think anyone who listens to the show either, you know, works in social media or has to do digital marketing or is an entrepreneur or a marketer or creative or something that has means that their life is very turned on at all times. So boundaries has been a huge conversation piece because we all recognize how important it is for protecting our mental health and also our energy and our creativity and all that stuff. And I think a lot of people listening might relate to that moment or those moments that they've maybe ignored. What kind of advice would you give to anyone who's experiencing that or feels like they might be in the middle of a burnout? Yeah, you know, boundaries is something that I I love and I've never had a problem setting boundaries. It's just it's more a problem of not listening, so I'm like I have all of the advice <laughs> for boundaries. I think it's starting with asking yourself, how are you doing right now? How are you feeling? And reframe from saying, you know, oh, I'm stressed or I'm good. Like we often ask people like how they're doing in their day, but we don't really care to hear the answer. Mm -hmm. And I want you to ask yourself that honestly and give yourself the space to answer it truthfully and to hear that. Because a lot of the time we don't want to hear the reality of how we're feeling because it's scary. It's really scary to, to admit that, you know, it's really getting to us. And I think about, you know, social media right now. I just, I just saw this headline last night that was like, if you're under 40, prepare for a lifetime of awful droughts and like <sighs> economic crashes and heat waves. And it's just like, oh wow. my goodness. And <laughs> That's it's the last thing we need. Right. It's just always in our face. And I think mm -hmm. it's so difficult, especially being in social media and the online world. Like I look at my husband who's in restaurants and of course they have social media as an aspect of that, but that's like, I, I joke of like a real in-person job and I'm just like, must be nice to just not <laughs> need to constantly be living online, not just, mm -hmm. you know, personally, but professionally. Right. Yeah. I think boundaries is something we've been talking about a lot on the show and I think it's something that you're totally right. Like how are we actually living by those boundaries and also like checking in with ourselves? I think that's such a good reminder for anyone who's listening. Yeah. Speaking of headlines, I just saw something on Instagram yesterday and I don't remember what the source was, so take it or leave it. But it said something to the effect of the average young adult today is carrying the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. <gasps> so even that, knowing that like boundaries is an, such an important topic, not just boundaries, but you know what you're saying, Sophie, about self-awareness mm -hmm. and being willing to not just ask yourself the question, but actually listen to the answer and then do something about it. 
I want to rewind a little bit and talk about your first business, which you briefly mentioned. And it sounds like, you know, it was a success on paper. Like you sold so many programs. I see that you've resulted in the programs you sold resulted in $2.5 million in revenue. And you were fairly young when this all happened. Can you take us back to those days? And what was the catapult that helped you achieve that kind of reach and that kind of buy-in from your audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to call it the Wild West of Instagram because Facebook had just bought the platform. However, there was no such thing as an algorithm. There was no DMs. There was no Instagram stories. There was posting five times a day in like the most chaotic fashion. So I definitely always like to share, you know, my journey. I'm not sure if it can be replicated these days. Like I think it, there's a version of that on TikTok, but even that. Getting people off platform on TikTok was, is not as easy as it was on Instagram. So yeah, where that had really stemmed from is I had been what I was just posting on Instagram like anyone does, but I had wanted to build it for a modeling portfolio. At the same time though, I had bought this guide, this PDF from this nutrition blogger, which again, 2013, that wasn't like mainstream. It wasn't what it is today. And I was like, man, I want to do this. So I'd started to share what I was, how I was working out, what I was doing. And there was a lot of interest in that. And I think I grew to like 19,000 followers in about like four months. And then, you know, it got up to a peak of like 500,000 followers in like a few years, maybe three to four years. Wow. So it grew very quickly, but it made sense because I was also in the fitness space. So sex sells, I looked a certain way and that's, you know, what attracted audiences, but it was so scrappy back then. Do you remember Mm -hmm. the messaging platform, Kik? It was like K-I-K? Yes. Okay. So (laughs) what a flashback. Yeah. This is how underground it was. So at the time there was something called like buying shout outs, which you'll get those spammy messages now. But then that was what everyone was doing. And it was a legit, you weren't buying followers, you were buying a shout out on a page. So what had started was there was a bunch of these fitness accounts that we would do S for S. So shout out for shout out. So we'd share one another. But then some of the pages took it too far and we're doing shout outs like five, 10 a day. So they didn't have really any of their own content. So those people blew up because they kept on sharing one another But then there was accounts like mine that was like, okay, but I'm trying to build something myself here. So it got to a point where I would spend $250 on one of these accounts for a one hour shout out. But then I would go and get all those followers from, you know, them directing them to my page. And I would probably make four, five, 10 times what I spent. So it was just this, again, it's, I like to share that because that seems so unrealistic these days because it's, it's like a different world. So, you know, if I can look at some tangible advice, I guess I would have is to be consistent and to post regularly, but then you look at the platforms that ding you when you're posting too much. So even that I'm like, is that as relevant now? But I think it's looking at what other people are doing and what's working and then interpreting that in your own way by no means ripping off people but pull inspiration from people that are growing and they're doing something you know similar that you could do in your own way so I still think that advice stands up and is very much you know I looked around me and saw what other people were doing and it's fall but even back then it was like there wasn't trends there wasn't those types of pages but ultimately looking to those to see what's popular and trying to you know interpret that in your own way. Thank you. 
When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. And you call that the wild, wild west. I, I feel like I'd call that the golden age. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, yeah. Yeah, I just remember when so social media simpler. like felt so easy. It's still obviously a great place for brands and influencers and stuff, but it's changed a lot and it's not nearly as easy. But fast forward from there to like through all these personal recalibrations that you went through and then this decision to start dive through. Can you tell us more about the app, where the idea specifically came from and how it compares to other mental health apps on the market? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the the description that we kind of run people through is Dive Through is a mental health app that helps people take charge of their mental health. We work with mental health professionals to create tangible mental health tools and interactive courses that help people have everything they need to live a more mentally healthier and fulfilling life. So really focusing kind of in two buckets. Firstly, in driving what we call psychoeducation, the things that we should have been taught in school, but we weren't about our mind and how things work, what anxiety actually is. I think a great example is a lot of the time you say like, anxiety's all in my head or I'm going crazy, which I don't love to use that word, but the reality is it's it's a chemical, hormonal, physical body response. And it's not all in your head. There, there's a reason that it's happening. And being equipped with that knowledge is such a, you know, strong an empowering thing to know when navigating your mental health. So starting with that education and then following up with tangible tools. So that is either a journal bundle or a breathing exercise, a visualization exercise, whatever it might be to navigate that mental health concern in the moment after whatever it might be. So that's the, you know, the platform itself. And really where it came from was ultimately like this, when at like the time 2016, all that was the kind of the main stream popular was those self-help books and that kind of space that I mentioned, really the toxic positivity. And that's not mental health care or education in any sort of way, you know, making a manifestation board and thinking more positively and using affirmations. That isn't like, you know, when you're in a mental health crisis or have a diagnosed mental illness, that is not helpful. That, you know, there could be an aspect of that, that it could be for fun, but that's not, you know, going to cure or fix you. And like, you're also not broken and don't need to be fixed, which I think a lot of those, you know, positioning of self-help often takes that route. So I was really frustrated. I was, I was reading every single self-help book. I was desperate to fix myself. But then the flip side was, yeah, the, you know, the other resources were just so unreachable. I just like didn't, they were so cold. I would be like, this is written by someone with multiple PhDs that I'm sure is brilliant, but they're not being empathetic. They're not being understanding. They're not being, you know, reflective and inter like bringing in their own experiences. Like I needed that. I wanted to feel seen and heard 
while also getting qualified mental health education. So I really saw that there was this need in particular to connect with how millennials and Gen Z want to be connected with through social media in this interactive, easy to use sort of way. So that was really kind of the pain point that I had had. I've been working on it for a number of years, though. It really, I think, has just been this last year and a half, uh, kind of the right before the pandemic, beginning of 2020, that we've really taken off in the way that we have. But it definitely has been a very passion project for me, knowing you know the pain point and the the pain that I experienced. And I don't want I don't want people to feel afraid to be in their mind like I felt. Mm, that's amazing. You mentioned before that you had no desire to start a tech startup, which is exactly what you ended up doing. And how do you feel about it now? Do you relate to the stereotypical tech startup culture vibe that's, you know, what people assume tech startups are like? Yeah. So when I when I've said that, it's because I didn't I didn't know what yeah startup was or this idea of raising capital. I didn't know that at all. And I was just like, I want to build a product like I built my first one. I, I thought I was recreating what I did in my first business, which a mobile <laughs> app is not that at all. So I had actually been watching Silicon Valley on HBO. And I remember mm-hmm. building the app. I had like development a development team that I was self-funding. And I was like watching this at the same time. And I was like, man, that is so cool. I want to do that. And if anyone's seen the show, the very first episode, he like pukes from a panic attack. And there was a part of me that was just like, that's it. That's cool. (laughs) Which I don't get that, but you know, it is what it is. So now I love the space. I obviously love what we're building, but I love the business side so much. I love raising capital, even though it's, you know, a big challenge. But no, I wouldn't say I relate to what you would think of when you think startup or tech founder because I can't code. I'm not a white man. I know how to talk to people. I think, you know, the the stereotypes (laughs) of the Mark Zuckerbergs of of the world. Mm -hmm. But I also want to show that you don't need to look a certain way to be able to do this. You don't need a certain skill set. And it's really interesting, you know, talking with the both of you, because you'll get the importance of digital marketing and of that background. But Mm -hmm. I've been shocked of how my background hasn't been received well or received as this incredible asset that I know that it is because I'm not a coder. I don't come from that side, but I come, you know, from, I know how to sell and position a product. I know how to build a brand in a way that makes sense for millennials and for young people. So it's been very interesting, interesting to see how the industry I come from isn't necessarily respected in the way that other backgrounds are in tech. And I 100% account that to be, you know, being an influencer is a predominantly women-led industry that's just not, you know, taken seriously, which is such a shame. And people will be regretting that, I, you know, in the next 10 mm-hmm. years here. Definitely. You mentioned fundraising and how, like, you're not an old white guy and you don't necessarily relate to some of the other people in tech startups. And speaking of that, I saw that you recently shared that you raised $800,000 in your most Which, recent congrats round. to you that's amazing that's you. massive yeah so can we just talk about that a little bit i assume well i don't assume i know that there's even more challenges when you're trying to raise money as a female founder so what has your experience been like as you pursued investors and what are some of those things outside of the digital marketing stuff that you talked about that gave you a competitive advantage there Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I always like to start off when I talk about my fundraising journey that I have had been very fortunate and very privileged to have investors in the first place, honestly, like that (laughs) as a woman founder is 
an incredible achievement, which is so sad. In 2020, the amount of funding that went to women actually went down and now it's sitting at like around 2%. Of that, less than 1% is going to BIPOC women. There's so much work to do. And the fact that I'm on the privilege side is just so sad because it's it's just so awful. But yeah, the you know, the challenges that I've ran into, it's it's been such an odd experience because it's not as black and white. And I'm a very much a black and white type of person. Like I I get really kind of, you know, flustered when things aren't abundantly clear. And that's the one thing that I've noticed about like the way sexism weaves itself in in this circumstance is that I'm like, was that because I'm a woman or was it because I didn't hit X, Y, and Z? So you almost like gaslight yourself into being like, no, like it's not because of that. But then you go and look at, you know, there's so much research done around how investors ask women founders different sorts of questions than they ask male founders. And it's just this unconscious bias that's there. So I've definitely felt that, you know, in the way that I've been questioned. I've also heard from a pitch competition that I've been in that the way my business was discussed was completely different than another business, like the other businesses and how they were positioned. So I've had that very directly, you know, put in my face. But I think the biggest thing has been how, yeah, my background as an influencer hasn't been seen as an asset and has somehow, you know, like not made me as legitimate as, you know, other founders with other backgrounds. But yeah, I think it's just when you hear those numbers, it's it's such an obvious inequality or discrepancy, not sure like the proper word for it, that it's just like you can't even believe how like 2% of all funding and then like 95% of startups fail. So, you know, are those numbers correlated? I think so. Yeah, you tell them. In my very brief experience working at a tech startup, I can totally see what you mean, even just by the few, like the year that I worked at a tech startup, I was like the only girl at a startup. And it was just so, yeah, so interesting, like how they're just framed differently. And like, I completely believe all the statistics that you're sharing are totally true because even like in the small community that I was in, it was so rare to see women-led companies get lots of funding and have the support of great investors and all that. So congrats to you for getting through to that. I want to ask you, I know you have like lots of great experience in this area. So any advice that you can give to anyone who wants to raise investment capital? Yeah. So I would say the first thing I would do is learn about it. Learn what the terms are. Learn what, you know, what does it mean to raise on like a priced round versus a convertible note versus a safe versus all of these things? So education to me in this space, I think is particularly important. There's workshops, there's courses, there's so much, you know, so much you can learn in that. So I would start, start by learning. Secondly, get on Twitter and get into startup and VC Twitter. That's actually something I only started doing in the last six months and it has already radically shifted. You know, the, the approach that I'm taking to fundraising and the relationships that I'm building, especially as a Canadian company trying to raise in the States for our next round. So get, yeah, on startup, um, Twitter. That just means, you know, start following those topics. Go and follow everyone. Come to my, like, if you want, come to my Twitter and just follow all the investors that I'm following and that will just populate your feed with so much. 
And then I think really focus on your business. I think there is this whole part of the startup world that there's just these startups raising money just because like that's what they actually want to do. But at the end of the day, what matters the most is what you're building and your product. So get very clear on the mission of your company, what you're looking to accomplish, because you will face so much rejection and you need to be able to validate yourself or you will lose sight very quickly from all of the no's that you get. So I think, yeah, being very confident in what you're building, of course, being open to feedback and then look into your community. I know Calgary, Edmonton has really great different spaces, different communities, different companies that you can interact with and put yourself out there that way. But yeah, definitely make sure, well, kind of stepping back, make sure that you're actually like an investment backable company. Not every company is, and that's totally okay. There's a difference between, I would say, a lifestyle business versus a high growth scalable company that, you know, your company needs to be doing 50 million, 100 million plus in revenue. Like that needs to be the type of business that you're building for it to be a venture VC backed company. Wow, that's a lot of great tips. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Getting back to the app itself, we've worked with a few apps ourselves with our agency, and we know that it can be difficult to get people to actually download that thing. Mm-hmm. So you've alluded to some like digital marketing, and obviously your social media has played a part in that initial awareness, but can you get a little bit more specific into the strategies that you used for especially early adoption, but then after that, the growth of the app? Yeah. So I would say, you know, I know you, you folks know Nikki, she's our head of marketing and is an absolute Mm -hmm. beauty of a human. So I would say if I kind of broke down our different areas and different initiatives that we have, we would say, of course, social media, our social media, um, my social media, but then really focusing on micro influencers, but in a way that, you know, they're people, they matter. They're not just another, you know, number to fulfill. So you're actually dealing with people. So influencer and micro influencers is just a version of, you know, working with other people. For us, paid ads. Um, so through Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, ambassador program, we're actually rolling out a therapist ambassador program just because, you know, we are much more aligned with therapy. We're not therapy, but we're a tool that can be used alongside therapy rather than a self-help or self-care sort of tool like Headspace or Calm. So really understanding who would be the greatest ambassadors of our product and of our tool and looking to build, you know, an ambassadorship around them. So really finding people that love what you're doing and offer them perks. They don't have to be monetary, but different, you know, people want to be contributing to something. So that's, you know, something that we've had a lot of fun with and have gotten a really great response from. But I also think it really starts with building a good user experience, really making sure that you're understanding people that are using your app, interviewings, surveys, just really, you know, have that handle on how they are experiencing your product and how you can make changes and really create a product that they love and then look to replicate that success as you grow. Nice. Can you pinpoint or maybe expand on a certain like either strategy or moment that you felt was really pivotal for building that initial user base. I think that there's likely some founders who run apps that would look to dive through and, you know, would want to learn from what you're doing to reach the audiences that you you want to reach. So I'm just curious if there's a specific thing that you could maybe dive into a little deeper. Yeah, I would say probably the most like tangible 
result for us is around our SEO and building our website. So we have today like 60,000 unique visitors a month to the website just from Google. And that then looking to funnel them into our app, looking to funnel them into our newsletter. I think we started that in May of 2020. So it's, you know, that's after a year and a half of building really focused SEO articles that actually derive value and really understanding how Google works, rewards articles, pushes them up. So we have a number of articles that, you know, the first thing you Google, like asking a question, were that article. So I think ultimately paid strategies are are great, but they can't be all that you build your company on because it will be so expensive. It's so hard to scale. If your numbers don't work out, it just isn't the long-term solution. So for us, the SEO is, you know, a solution or an approach or campaign for us to run that, you know, it, it takes time unlike other campaigns, but it really builds on itself. So I would say that's a really great place and a really good place to like have in your control to work on, working on your website, working on articles related to the app that you have. So you know, maybe it's a scooter company and it's like 10 reasons to not commute this way. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> really, you know, building those resources that sit outside of your app or your product, but funnel into it. So really building that mm-hmm. top of funnel through that organic SEO traffic, I think for us at least has been really impactful. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about your podcast network as podcasters. Obviously, we're very like curious and intrigued when people do that. And I think it's a pretty rare thing to see, honestly. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what that has, what kind of impact that's had for your business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ultimately, our goal is to create mental health education and resources. And we recognize that people learn through different mediums. Some people learn through writing, some people from reading, listening whatever it might be. So for us, when it came to the podcast in particular, is there is so much, you know, awesome content on podcasts and there's this whole niche of mental health related shows. So we produce a number of our own shows and then work with existing shows. And what that really looks like for us, is just, you know, another opportunity to channel or funnel users into, you know, the end goal of the app. So, you know, wanting to focus on delivering that free psychoeducation. And then if people want to take the next step with us, they can do that by downloading the app. So for us, yeah, just a way to, it was another touch point with our users. We have the articles on the website, we have social media, we have a daily newsletter that goes out and we also have podcasts. So just really wanting to be, you know, top of mind and, you know, in multiple mediums because people can funnel into your app, into your business from, you know, different, different avenues. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot going on, especially like tons of organic activities, which I think are so cool, especially to your point about not building your business solely on paid activities, but there's a lot of content there that needs to be produced by someone. So can you talk to us a little bit about what your team looks like and how you've gone through the process of building that team 
and where you're planning to take things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're sitting at a team of about 20 people, about 15 of them are full-time in Edmonton. And then we have some team members, you know, in Calgary, in Saskatoon. And really our kind of core team is broken up into three different areas. So we have our product team. This includes those that are working on the website and the app. So like actually developing it. So that's our developers, product manager, product designer. And then we have the marketing team that Nikki leads. So um, a number of people on that team. But then when it comes to the content, we have an entire content team. So our strategy is that we create the content in-house and then we work with mental health professionals with it as well. So the courses within the app are created by mental health professionals with large social media followings. So we create the course with them. Our content team, you know, leads that, works on the scripting and really supports them, taking all of their incredible, brilliant knowledge and, you you know, packaging it into three-minute videos, five-minute videos, whatever it might look like. So a number of writing team members, a number of editing, video, producing, whatever it might be. So really, ultimately, content is what we're selling. So really making sure that our content team is creating easy-to-understand, accessible resources. You know, content is king, and we definitely feel that at Dive Through. 100%. When you were a, a fitness influencer, Did you expect that you'd be managing a team of 20 people? Yeah, you know, I would have been the 15-year-old girl that was like daydreaming about having a company with 250 employees. Like that's all I've ever wanted. I really tried in my first business to bring team members in. Like I had a lot of contractors. I had some full-time, you know, one team member here and there. But it just wasn't that type of business. It was very much a lifestyle business that was meant to support me, you know, very incredibly, but it wasn't meant to grow any bigger than than me. And dive through being able to be that is just like truly the wildest, like my wildest dreams come true. My team is like the most fulfilling thing to me. And like, that's, yeah, that's what I wanted. I'm of course learning how to manage people. And I'm just like, I don't view myself as a micromanager. And I feel like Nikki would agree with that. So I just feel like I was kind of made to have this, this team. And I'm just so excited to see it grow and evolve as we go on. I love it. Yeah. Building a team is one of the most rewarding parts about running a business, I'd say. I feel like it's also different than what you would expect, though. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, Sophie? Like expectations versus reality for you. What is being a leader of a 20-person team like? And what have you had to learn to do that well? Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think I realized how much building a workplace that people love to work at would be like it for me. Every Friday we have like we have a daily stand up virtually every single day. And then on Friday, it's we talk about work gratitudes, personal, whatever you want to share and just hearing. And like, I hate when business owners talk like we're like a family. And I'm like, no, that's Mm. just like a way for you to like take advantage of your team. And of course, we have seasons where we're, you know, we're going above and beyond and working super hard, but we really look to, you know, balance that out. So I think for me, it's like, I've never worked for anyone else other than the serving jobs that I had. And I hear so much about, you know, toxic workplaces. And that is just like the most heartbreaking thing to me. But then to know that, yeah, we have this workplace that my team actually wants to work at was what's been the most rewarding, which I don't think I had expected. I think it was just like, to me, it was just like, oh, I want people working towards this vision that I have. But to me, it's more being able to create a workplace that people love to work 
that just to me, like I've achieved what I need to achieve in the world. I'm good to go. So yeah, I think I've been surprised by what part of it has been meaningful. And, you know, like you said, like it didn't, that wasn't my expectation, but has just exceeded all expectations I had. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I'd say we resonate with that a lot too. I feel like we used to just be so much in the trenches and execution for our agency, but these days a lot of our, our time is spent on just kind of like you said, cultivating that great work environment that people aspire to be a part of. And then once they are, they don't want to leave. Yeah. You know, like we always say that we'll celebrate people when they do decide to go on, but we hope that it's a hard decision. Totally. Moving more over to the user side, a lot of your users are in the States, but you have your app downloaded in over 150 different countries. So I'm curious, was going global always something you knew that you could or would do, or were you pretty focused on Canada? What was the, what was your approach there? Yeah. So the global aspect in my first business, I sold in basically every country in the world. And I don't think I didn't know any differently. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because when I'm onboarding team members, that's actually what I specifically call out. I say, you know, a lot of the companies that you might work for here in Edmonton might be focused on Edmonton, might be focused on Alberta and maybe even Canada. And that's beautiful and great, but that is not us. We are a global company from day one. But an app can be downloaded anywhere, you know, having a restaurant anywhere, you know, that's completely different. So really, I wanted to instill in my team members that, yeah, we're not confined by filling four walls. We are able to, you know, we create something one time and then we're able to distribute it countless times. So really having that larger than life sort of attitude was just kind of built into the business because that's what I experienced in my first one. So, you know, definitely like we do focus on English speaking countries, predominantly US, Canada, UK, Australia would be our core markets. So, you know, one day down the road, of course, there'll be the opportunity to translate. But yeah, just focusing on English speaking markets right now. That's so cool. So much respect for you, Sophie. I feel like aspiring to have a team of 250 and going global from day one, like those are some (laughs) gangster moves. So uh, I love it. Just keeping me up at night slightly, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that you recently made the decision to make Dive Through a free app. Why did you think that that was important? Mm-hmm, yeah. So for us, mental health access is the number one priority. And I like to say, you know, it's so great to see how many people are opening up about their mental health. Celebrities, you know, we saw that Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, Ryan Reynolds talks about anxiety, The Rock talks about depression. And that's so incredible to help reduce the stigma. And even though mental health affects everyone, not everyone has equal access to mental health care. And wanting to just be hyper aware of that, you know, therapy is $200 a session. I can't afford that. So for me, it was really, we want to be committed to our cause, which is helping people take charge of their mental health. So we've made the commitment that 90% of our resources will always be available for free. And then allowing, you know, of course, we have the more premium courses because we're still a company. We have, you know, people that deserve to get paid for, you know, creating what we've created. And that option is there for people, but really focusing on the mission, which is, you know, helping people understand their mind, understand mental health and have those resources. That is to me a right, not a luxury. It was a very 
clear decision for me to go and approach this from a private business sort of capacity. But I still think like we need the government. Hey, Canada, we have universal health care, but mental health care isn't included in that. That's a joke. So, you know, I'm going to do what I can in the private sector, but still, you know, the public sector needs to get their shit together. (laughs) (laughs) You tell them. Mm -hmm. Are there any other decisions that you're making about the app that you feel set it apart from any other alternatives that are on the market? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really think our commitment to the mental health piece is really what we're trying to like educate on how we're different. A lot of the tools on the market right now are self-care and self-help, and that is so different than mental health. And really the biggest piece for that is the way that we work with therapists. Everything created is either created or vetted or approved by a credible mental health professional, a psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker, whatever it might be. And that to me is so important to really make sure that our resources are helpful, accurate, and safe because I think a lot of tools out there can be unsafe for people. So I'm very proud of that piece because I'm not a mental health professional. And instead of, you know, going down one route where I could share, this is what worked for me, now do it without, you know, knowing if it's backed by mental health professionals, that just didn't feel right. So I'm very proud of that, the way that we're different in that way. But then I'd also add to that is we really have a commitment to creating a diverse range of resources. You know, I've gone on to some very popular, very big mental, you know, the self-care apps. And I've put in the word like, you know, LGBTQ, racism, think like, you know, transgendered, these types of words and no resources or content specific to that experience, those experiences have came up. So for us, we work with a diverse range of mental health professionals to make sure that our resources are reflective of everyone's different lived experiences, not just the typical, you know, kind of white woman wellness that often, you know, dominates the space. So very proud of that commitment as well. You guys are doing great work. (laughs) Thank you for what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. One question we always love to ask before we end our interviews is who, in your opinion, is making waves right now? I am the biggest fangirl of Whitney Wolfhard, the founder of Bumble, so co-founder of Tinder. She, to me, like the fact that she had her company go public with her baby on her hip, that just like so incredible for women, women founders around the world to see that. And then just the way that she has created a resource that made the, the problem of lewd photos, so dick pics worse. And then she went to lobby the government to make them illegal. And I think that's just like accountable business doing business. That's the proper way to do things. So, and then they just rolled out so many different things around mental health breaks with the company. And I think, yeah, I'm like her greatest fan girl and I'm going to bring her up on enough podcasts (laughs) that she will listen to one of them. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Why wouldn't she? I love it. Yeah. I'm a big fan girl of her too. She's amazing. Our last and final question, how can listeners connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me across the internet at Sophie Gray, Gray with an A. And then you can find Dive Through at DiveThrough.com, like Drive Through, but without the R. And then at Let's Dive Through across social media and at Dive Through in the App Store and on Google Play. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sophie, for being on the show. This is really valuable and uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.